The first reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. You'll find that on the Bible, uh, Church Bible on page 1096. So that's page 1096, Acts 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but shared everything they had. With, power, the, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money of the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading comes from John chapter 20, which is on page 1089 in the Church Bible. So it's John 20, and I'm beginning to read at verse 19. And when, of course, it says the first day of the week, that's the day that Jesus arose, and these are the events that John is describing on that day. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples stood together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After the, he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other lords told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might know and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. May God bless this reading to us as we take his words on board. Father, indeed, may you speak to us afresh and anew this day that we may know the Lord Jesus to be amongst us. We pray in his name. Amen. So Jesus came and stood among them. We heard it twice in the gospel 
He came and stood among them. That's the essence of the Christian faith. The essence of Christian living. That Jesus stands among us and is at the centre of everything that we do. He stands, of course, at the centre of creation. He was there right at the beginning. John tells us that through him, all things were made. He stood at the centre of the hard times for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they were in the fiery furnace. He stood at the centre of Moses and Elijah in that revelation of future glory. And he stood, or was hung, at the centre between the thieves on the day of his crucifixion. And now on the day of his resurrection, he comes again and stands among them. Jesus among us at the centre is the key to Christian living. And the resurrection begins, as verse 19 tells us, on the first day. The new day. The day of new creation. The new day in which things are changed. Remember what you know from the Genesis stories. In the Garden of Eden, when it had all gone wrong, the man and the woman, God's people, were hiding away. And God comes looking for them at the time of the evening breeze. Well, now, on the evening of the first day of the new creation, God's people are hiding away. And God comes in Christ Jesus and he breathes on them the breeze of the healing breath of God. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Remember too, at the beginning, God breathed into the man the breath of life. And now in this room, Jesus breathes into them the restoring life of God. Breathed out to make new people of his disciples. People in whom Christ lives at the centre amongst them all. So see, first of all, that with Jesus at the centre, there is peace. Verse 19, Jesus, and verse 26 also, comes and stands amongst them and says, Peace be with you. Now, it's not a wish or a hope, such as we might wish someone a happy birthday or write a greeting at the beginning of a a letter to them, I hope you are well. No, it's not a wish or a hope. It is a fact. Jesus is telling them a fact a statement about what has been achieved and won for them through the death and burial and resurrection. Given to them. Jesus did it all on the cross and in his burial. There is no barrier between God and humanity. No enmity. There is peace. The word for peace in Hebrew, you'll know this, is shalom. I'm sure you know that. It was a common greeting amongst the Jewish people. Peace be with you, they would say. It's it's actually a better better greeting than our how are you, isn't it? Don't you think how are you gets you into all sorts of trouble? Because we're not really asking and we don't want the answer. And then somebody says, they tell you how they are. And you think, what do you do with that? They've actually taken me seriously. Or, or somebody says to you, how, how are you? And you tell them, I'm fine, because you are. And then they say, no, 
How are you? Peace be with you. It's much better. It's a truth. Shalom. It means total well-being. Life at its best under the gracious hand of God. And Jesus uses it on the first day of the week as he stands amongst them because it has been achieved. God and human beings are reconciled. See, the Jewish notion of peace was that if you ordered your life well enough uh, and you arranged it so that you could keep all the necessary laws and the rituals and you could avoid all the pitfalls of falling into uh, difficulty and you had prosperity and lived in harmony with everyone, then you would be at peace. That was the Jewish understanding of shalom. And the problem, of course, is that no one could do it. There was no peace because somewhere along the way it either became frayed at the edges or it collapsed in the middle. Peace eluded them. It was never a present reality. And the problem with the Jewish understanding of peace is that Christ Jesus was not at the centre. That when you place Jesus at the centre, when you accept that he has made peace. He is your peace between God and us. Well, then it doesn't matter what the chances and the changes of life are. You can live at peace even in the mess. It doesn't change God's view of you. You are loved forever and always. And this is at the heart, really, of what it means to be an intentional church. We are an intentional church, are we not? Yes, we are, Timmy. See, there's a difference between something achieved and something implemented. The composer, he writes his symphony and he puts his final full stop to his signature after having written the, sig- the symphony and it is a done deal. That's his achievement. It's done. And then the musicians have to come along and implement that music to make it uh, a living reality in some way. Or the clockmaker designs and makes his clock, but then it's for the owner to wind it up and keep the time. Jesus made peace. That's his achievement. We don't have to, to do that again. We just live in the truth of the peace that he has achieved. Jesus being our intentionality at the heart of our community, intentionally being at peace between ourselves and God, intentionally living at peace with one another as far as it depends on us. So if we find we have lost peace, if we find anxieties begin to take over, then it's a sign that somewhere Jesus is not at the centre. Every Christian and every church I know has experienced those kind of times when we've lost peace, both as a person and as a Christian leader 
I know what it's like when we have lost our peace at the, because Jesus isn't at the center. And often we parcel Jesus up into a compartment along with the other compartments of life. So I have my home and my work and my uh, interests and so on. And Jesus is just another one of those. Jesus for a Sunday worship and maybe a weekday quiet time. Churches do the same things. We don't have Jesus all the time as the golden thread that holds everything together. Jesus is okay for the worship on a Sunday, but don't let him influence the money or the power or the hymns versus songs debate or the PCC decisions. And I can tell you as a person and as a church leader, there's no peace when Jesus is pushed out like that. But I've also learned that it's not a failure when it happens. It's not a failure. It's an opportunity. When peace is lost, it's an opportunity to reflect on where we have pushed Jesus out and not invited him to be at the centre. And the thing to do then is to invite him to be there, to stand among us and to give us his peace. Well, then notice, secondly, that Christ at the centre brings purpose. See how in verse 22, he's, he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 23, he says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven. There's your purpose. And we might say, who's up to that? Who is up to forgiving sins? Surely only God can forgive sins. Surely not forgiving sins is an even more awesome responsibility. And that's true. But we must remember that there's a difference between the thing achieved and the thing implemented. Because only God can forgive sins. He's done it. But those who follow him are to live it out. That's what the Acts reading was all about, giving us a picture of what this community looked like, living out what the achievement was. With their, to make it a living reality in the world. And remember too that it's the Holy Spirit that is breathed into them, the spirit of new life, the new creation that they receive so that they can do what they could not do beforehand. And that's what it means to be an inspirational church. We are an inspirational church, are we not? Yes, we are. Inspired by Jesus and inspiring other people. The church together, inspirationally, lives out the forgiveness that Jesus has won. And the mistake we sometimes make as a church community, I think, not just us, but churches in general, the mistake we make is to think that we have to live out perfection. To think that the church, if the church isn't getting it right everywhere, that it's not getting it right at all. Or to think that as Christians, there ought to be a way of keeping everybody happy. 
Not even Jesus could do that. But we think we should be able to keep everybody happy. And we can't. And if we're not keeping everyone happy, we think it's a failure. But Jesus does not want the church to live out perfection. Jesus wants the church to live out forgiveness. To continually practice forgiveness that he achieved on the cross. So next time somebody does something in church that you think is wrong or offensive or downright thoughtless, well, thank God for them. Thank God that he is giving you the opportunity to live out the forgiveness that he won for you and for everybody on the cross. How good is that? That thoughtless person is God's gift to you to learn to practice forgiveness. Because you see, the world can't live in forgiveness. Because the wor- because for forgiveness to be practiced by the world, Jesus would have to stand at the centre. So remember uh, those famous words in Isaiah 55. Uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. We discover when we read that, that the context is forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the way of the world. The world can't live by forgiveness. It's an altogether heavenly idea. But with Jesus at the centre, that is our purpose, to bring forgiveness into the world. And Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The purpose the Father had in sending the Son is the purpose that Jesus gives to his followers. To be inspirational in the living out of forgiveness in the world. But if there is to be forgiveness, there necessarily has to be things that need to be forgiven. Things that in the end, and of themselves, are wrong. The world finds that a difficult idea too. We learned a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, when we talked about uh, relative truth, how, how the world wants to include everybody. And if everybody is included, then we have to do away with the notion of sin. And in fact, the, whole, the very word has become offensive to us, to the world in these days. But Jesus says, if you forgive anyone's sin, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, They are not forgiven. What do we make of that? Well, we don't live that by way of judgment and condemnation, but in the way of continuing to hold that some things are wrong. They remain wrong. In our day, those things that the core of the debate is around sexual behaviour, but it wasn't always like that. In the Middle Ages, It was about power and authority and right at the beginning it was about those who refused to work. But the point is that the church community lives the life that is the sign to the rest of the world. The best life under the gracious hand of God. That's what we live out. And to deny or to refuse the idea of sin means that there can be no forgiveness. 
But we are a community who places Jesus at the center. And we live out an attitude of forgiveness that he died to achieve. So I'm forced to reflect again. Where have I pushed Jesus out from the center of my community, of the church, of my family, or of work? And so have failed to live out my purpose living in an attitude of forgiveness. I reflect also where I've pushed Jesus out to deny that I need forgiveness because I deny the existence of my sin. See, the only way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that I can live in unity with you and with God is to acknowledge my need of forgiveness, to invite Jesus to stand at the center, to breathe his Holy Spirit of forgiveness into me and into us all. And then Thomas, that dear disciple, who was always the first to ask the questions when he didn't understand, he shows us that when Jesus is at the center, there is proof. He wasn't there when uh, Jesus appeared that first time and he doesn't believe what he's told. He says in verse 25, unless I see the nail marks and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. He has to wait a whole week, a whole week of being told Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and then Jesus comes to the same house with the same doors locked in the same room Jesus comes and stands among them and says peace be with you peace not blame peace not fault finding peace not a rebuke he uses the same words that Thomas has used to prove to him that he's real put your finger here See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. See, prove to Thomas not only that Jesus is alive, but get this, Jesus, even when he's not there, knows everything that Thomas has done and said. When he's apparently not here, Jesus knows what you do and say. And Thomas sees it and he feels it, and he believes. My Lord and my God, he says. He's the first person ever to address Jesus as God. He has, as Jesus says, seen and believed. But he goes on to say, Jesus, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are you and me who have not seen in the way that Thomas has, and yet we believe. Blessed are you, you are the blessed ones. And it's what it means to be an invitational church. Of course, we are an invitational church, aren't we? Yes, Timmy, we are. See, because we have seen in other ways. We, none of us have come to faith without first coming into contact with somebody else who had that faith before us. Thomas hung around all week 
being told, and eventually he saw and believed. And when we don't understand, instead of leaving, we ought to hang around the church. Hang around with the people who have Jesus among them, and in the end we shall see. Amongst those people we have seen him in the things that they say, in the way they are, in the life they live. And somewhere along the way, we have been invited for ourselves to see the proof, the life of the new creation that Jesus achieved is being lived out by the people who follow him. And it is our task, our place, our mission to be Jesus amidst at the centre of our community. And we work so hard to achieve that, placing Meadgate Church at the heart of all that is good in Meadgate Estate so that people may know the life of Jesus amongst them. And then, really, that's John's point when he gets to the end. Uh, well, it was the end of the original gospel Verse 30 and 31, the, the, bit, the chapter that comes afterwards is an add-on. But here, John finishes up his gospel by saying, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in the book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him may have life in his name. See, it's John's original ending by which he is making an invitation to his readers. Believe. And he gives us Thomas, who in that moment, in those last words of the gospel, comes to that point of believing that we might, with Thomas, see and believe amongst the community who have Jesus at the centre. Because when, like Thomas, we, believe, we discover Jesus at the centre, there is proof that he is alive. And the new resurrection life is ours. So Jesus amongst them is the key to Christian life and faith. Jesus amongst them brings new peace intentionally. Jesus amongst them brings new purpose inspirationally. And Jesus amongst them brings new proof invitationally. I just feel I have to say this, this is a message that touches all of us, I think. There are people here who don't have peace because they're medically unwell. But there are others of us who don't have peace because we haven't got to that point of seeing that Jesus is and has achieved our peace. And there are some of us who don't quite know what their purpose in life is or they've got to a point in life where they feel they've lost purpose because they haven't grasped that actually our community lives out its purpose day by day in the fellowship and ministry of the church. And there are others here who are still looking for proof in their unbelief. They're not sure how it works. 
maybe a bit flaky and on the edge. There are people to pray this morning for you if you are any of those or all of those or some of those some of the time. Because this is such a core message. This is where John led his readers to. To the place of peace and purpose and proof that Jesus Christ is risen for you and all his people and all those who don't yet know him. So do come and seek the prayer that unlocks the power for God. Amen.